0: This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin.
1: Hi, I'm Joan Newberger, editor of Not Even Past, and your host for today's episode of 15-Minute History. Today, our guest is Jorge Canizares Esquerra. Hi, Jorge.
0: Hi. John
1: Uh, Jorge is a specialist in Atlantic and Latin American history, and he is going to speak to us today about Simon Bolivar. Jorge, let's start with a short biographical note. What is Bolivar most famous for?
0: Well, uh, he was instrumental in ending three hundred and fifty years of Spanish rule in the Americas at the end of the eighteenth and beginning of the nineteenth centuries. Ought to be considered the Spanish American equivalent of both George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Like Washington, Bolivar led a people onto the battlefield to gain independence. Like Jefferson, Bolivar drafted constitutions inspired by the ideas of the Enlightenment and the French Revolution. Yet Bolivar was neither Washington nor Jefferson— Unlike Washington, who suffered of excruciating pain of rotten dentures, Bolívar kept to his death a wholesome set of teeth. (laughs) More important, Bolívar did not end his days worshipped and revered like Washington. Bolívar died on his way to self-imposed exile, despised by many. Unlike Jefferson, who admired the ideas of the French Revolution but never actually lived up to them contradictorily espousing the ideals of freedoms and equality while living comfortably of the labor of hundreds of slaves, Bolívar liquidated all his plantations and set all his slaves free. Uh, There are, to be sure, puzzling paradoxes about Bolívar, like Jefferson. Uh, He was personally willing to give up all earthly possessions and all comfort during 18 years of endless military campaigns against the Spanish tyranny, but he himself became a dictator. Uh, Bolívar was a pragmatist who would willingly bend principles in the pursuit of strategic goals. This man, who allegedly despised Machiavelli, was himself a Machiavellian, for whom the ends justified all means. He was also a great political failure.
1: Oh, very interesting character. Um, So where did he come from? What was his early life like?
0: Yeah, Bolivar was born in Caracas, Venezuela, in 1783, to a prominent local family of Basque cacao planters. At the time, Venezuela was Spain's colony. Uh, He became an orphan at the tender age of two, his father died at two, and nine, uh, his mother died at nine. Thereafter, he would temporarily live under the rotating custody of grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Uh, his long-term guardians were a philanderer uncle and a black wet nurse, a nanny known as La Negra Hippolita, the black Hippolita. Uh, Bolívar inherited wealth, plantations, and slaves, but also a very loose upbringing and no formal education. He would always be at ease amongst the poor, the black, and the deviant, prostitutes, for example. He spent his youth moving around households and riding horses. Jumping on and off running stallions, for example, prepared him well for battle, but also may have rendered him infertile. He never issued offspring. Bolivar grew up to be a planter, an administrator of Hacienda peons and slaves in a booming commercial Atlantic anthropod. Caracas. So at age 15, he went to Spain to learn about the workings of commerce and empire.
1: So he left Venezuela and went off to Spain. What was his life like in Spain?
0: While in Madrid, Bolívar first lodged with his financially strapped uncles, who were then at court lobbying for nobility titles. He soon moved to the house of the Minister of War Council, the Marquis of Ustaris, a fellow Basque who had become a stabilizing force in his life. Ustarits hired tutors to educate Bolívar and help Bolívar find a proper match, the older María Teresa Rodríguez del Toro. Bolívar married María Teresa at age 18 in 1802 and promptly returned to Caracas to tend to his plantations and his adolescent love nest. (laughs) Upon arrival, María died and Bolívar was left devastated. Her death, however, proved providential.
1: Uh, So, upon Maria's death, he went back to Europe, and what did he do there?
0: Uh, Grown up and fully in control of his property and finances at last, he was 18, Bolívar decided to change course and return to Europe to heal. Uh, His healing took him to Paris and Rome, where he witnessed the coronation of Napoleon as emperor. He began to think of politics for the first time. For three years, from 1803 to 1806, Bolivar familiarized himself with the politics of Europe and the writings of the Enlightenment. He became particularly attracted to the ideas of Montesquieu, especially to the notion that laws sprang from the ground up, but they could also be engineered from the top down. He became familiar with the writings of the Romantics, like Rousseau, and their biting critique of the Enlightenment's dangerous abstractions, like the idea that humans and societies were inherently reasonable.
1: So, um, at the time that ideas of individual freedom were spreading in Western Europe and in the North America, North Atlantic, um, Bolivar had his own perspective on European ideas. Is that right?
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, He was very creative and very independent when it came to reading the Enlightenment and the Romantics. Bolívar became a pragmatist and a classical republican that is skeptical of the principles of liberalism. For Bolívar, the classical republican, the interest of the republic, be that the city of Caracas or the larger Spanish-American nation, trumped the rights of individuals. Not the other way around, as liberals and libertarians would expect he also grew critical of Enlightenment ideas of the great potential of human reason. Bolivar proved particularly fascinated with the notion of opinion, that is, the shaping of peoples through culture to go against their own self-interest.
1: So a kind of early propaganda. <laughs> yes. Is that right?
0: Indeed. A, 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 an earlier view of a culture in politics. Mm-hmm. that you can go against your own self-interest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He also adopted the Northern European critique of the Spanish monarchy as a commercially backward, tyrannical empire that purposefully kept the people ignorant and oppressed through the power of opinion. At a time when Venezuela had witnessed countless slave conspiracies to gain freedom and a failed invasion laid by the British Navy and Bolivar's compatriot, the glamorous Francisco Miranda, who allegedly was a lover of the Russian empress Catherine, Bolívar returned to Caracas in 1807 to participate in politics. The opportunity to participate came sooner than later in the wake of Napoleon's invasion of Spain and Portugal. In 1808, Napoleon toppled Ferdinand VII and left the Spanish Empire without a king, cities everywhere in the Americas and Spain elected councils, called juntas, which declared Napoleon and the French enemies. Nobody wanted anything to do with Napoleon and the French. These cities also declared their lasting love for the monarchy. Napoleon's invasion made evident where the power of the monarchy really resided, namely in the many cities of the empire.
1: So, how then did Venezuelan powers respond to Napoleon's invasion of Spain? The Venezuelan
0: juntas, or city councils, declared each city self-ruling, autonomous from the new authorities Napoleon had appointed. Most cities did not seek full independence from Spain or consider a future with no monarchs. It was very difficult to think in terms of a republic. They wanted monarchy to survive. Under the leadership of prominent leaders like Bolívar, however, the city of Caracas took a different route. Uh, the Junta of Caracas began to press neighboring juntas, or city councils, to unite and declare
1: Venezuela an independent republic, which they did in 1810. So independent of Spain and also a, a self-governing republic rather than a constitutional monarchy of Right.
0: Kind. The church and many of the humble poor, including blacks who had benefited from institutions the Spanish monarchy had created for the free color to gain upward social mobility, resented the heavy-handed maneuvering of the Junta of Caracas. The recently created Republic of Caracas and other cities in Venezuela soon crumbled down, literally The earthquake of 1812 destroyed most of coastal Venezuela and sparked an uprising against the oligarchic leaders of the Junta of Caracas. As Catholics, the poor and the black resented the atheism of the Enlightenment leaders of Caracas as well.
1: So we would assume that poor people, common people, would like to see a republic, but in fact they benefited from the monarchy uh, and opposed the Bolivar government. Right, very so,
0: counterintuitive.
1: So when, right. So when the fr- so when this first republic crumbled, did Bolivar change his mind about republican government or about tactics for making Venezuela independent?
0: Yes and no. Bolivar fled to Cartagena into this Colombia. In his manifesto of Cartagena, Bolivar drew lessons from this failure. One lesson Bolívar drew was that the City Council of Caracas had been dominated by liberals, not classical republicans. That is, by those who privileged individual rights over the interests of the community as a whole. Enamored of the abstractions of liberalism, including the defense of individual freedoms and political tolerance, the leaders of the City Junta of Caracas, according to Bolívar, had allowed conspirators to... Too much freedom to organize. That is one lesson he drew. Mm -hmm. The second lesson Bolívar drew was that the chances of Spanish America to gain liberty were rapidly growing dimmer. The wars against Napoleon would soon force thousands of Spanish veterans and persecuted priests to cross the ocean and settle in the New World. Were they to come, Spain would regain America by both force and opinion. So Bolívar urged action. He didn't learn anything about the poor and the black supporting monarchy. In Cartagena, Bolivar gained the support of other cities in the interior of Colombia today. Leading a hastily built army, Bolivar crossed the Andes into the highlands of Venezuela and launched a striking campaign, advancing from the rear guard, the south, onto the coastal cities of Venezuela. And he defeated the Spaniards again. The second republic was born, one that this time brought the cities of Nueva Granada and Venezuela together, Colombia and Venezuela together. This new republic of 1813, however, was also doomed.
1: Hmm. So things at this time were changing in Europe, too. Soon Napoleon would be defeated and forced out of Spain. Um, how did that affect what was going on in Spain's colonies? In 1814, the Spanish resistance forced Napoleon out of Spain
0: and King Ferdinand VII came back to rule. The monarch decided to put an end to the electoral and constitutional experimentations initiated by the urban city councils of the empire and sent a large army of veterans of the Napoleonic Wars to Venezuela and Colombia. The army came and struck an allegiance with the free color cowboys from the plains of Venezuela and Colombia, who quickly dismantled the new republic. So in 1815, Bolivar had to flee again. This time he fled to Haiti. The wars and the visit to Haiti finally opened up Bolivar's eyes. To win, he needed to bring the poor and the blacks to his side. That is the pragmatism. It is not due to principle, it is his pragmatism that is moving him to undo slavery. He would have to set free his own slaves and offer other slaves freedom through participation in his armies. He would also have to draw a clear line between locals and foreigners in warfare. All Spaniards would be killed, no questions asked. With the help of the black Haitian government, Bolívar returned to Venezuela to launch a campaign that would last six years peed entire populations against each other and slaughter tens of thousands. We are actually talking of a civil war. It was a civil war that gradually destroyed slavery in Gran Colombia and that put an end to the traditional racial and social hierarchies of Spanish America. These are the unintended consequences of casting the war the way he did. The war empowered mulattos and blacks, sent the Spanish planters and merchants fleeing, and put at the helm of the army and the state that Bolivar wanted to create, upwardly mobile mulattos. Unlike Washington, who led wars that while called a revolution left most of the social structures of the time intact, Bolivar led wars that profoundly transformed society.
1: So how did the social structure change then? And did that make governing more or less difficult?
0: It was a profound social revolution. It made the future nations of Venezuela and Colombia ungovernable for most of the 19th century. Uh, In Venezuela and and Colombia, something similar to what happened in Haiti happened. A revolution from the ground up uh, broke the back of the economies and coastal towns that had been uh, connected to the Atlantic economy and serving the Atlantic economy, exporting cacao or exporting other things. Uh, now that all came to an end.
1: So, But at the same time, so the economy was becoming more problematic, but Colombia and Venezuela were both under his political control. Um, and at that point, was he content to rule there or did he want to expand his power?
0: Yes. Bolívar had been defeated twice before this triumphed, and he knew that there were Pockets of resistance or armies that uh, would fight for Spain somewhere else. So, once in control of Colombia and Venezuela in 1822, Bolivar initiated a campaign to sweep Spanish armies from their strongholds in Peru. In 1823 to 1825, Bolivar led military campaigns that took him all the way into Upper Peru, a land of Indians for which Bolivar single handedly drafted an authoritarian constitution, and a land that in return called itself Bolivia, to honor the hero. After his triumphs in Peru and Bolivia, Bolivar basked in adulation. Priests would refer to him in sermons as Simón Maccabeo, the great biblical leader of the Israelites against the Babylonian armies. He was also compared to Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and Samson, Nobody could have compared him to David or Solomon because they were kings. But he was compared to Christ. Bolívar became the libertador, the liberator, a Christ-like liberator of the people from the idolatry of king worship.
1: Um, so he was a great hero despite creating authoritarian governments, or maybe because of creating authoritarian governments. How stable were the governments that he created?
0: Bolívar tried to maintain the republics he liberated with his sword and large armies of Indians and manumitted slaves. He tried to keep them united. Yet beginning in 1826, each city and region began to pull apart. Bolívar convened constitutional congress after constitutional congress to try to stem the tide. He would have himself declared dictator. Yet every effort failed. The Gran Colombia he created would soon come apart. Discouraged and dispirited, he left Bogotá in self-imposed exile. He died on his way to Cartagena.
1: So he died um, as a failure after all this great success. What what was his ultimate legacy? It's contradictory.
0: Bolívar is an enigma. In all his writings and all the addresses to every constitutional congress he assembled to draft laws, and there were many, Bolívar understood his fellow Spanish-Americans to be to be very poor raw material upon to which to build prosperous nations. And that is very odd. He's revered in all these nations now, but if you read his writings, he is so critical of anything and everything in Spanish-America that is curious spanish americans were corrupt in his opinion lazy united mentally enslaved by religion and colonial law and yet bolivar never lost faith he would set them free he thought either by the sword or the power of the laws he would teach spanish americans to live virtuous lives bolivar was a pragmatist a Machiavellian, a classical republican who privileged the interest of the community over individual freedoms. Bolívar was an authoritarian from the age of enlightenment, who ironically was deeply skeptical of the power of reason and sought to shape societies by manipulating culture, public opinion. He put his life on the line in the pursuit of freedom, an abstraction he never could quite define. But he never was, was clear as to what What he meant by freedom.
1: He never could quite define freedom because he elevated the republic, the community itself, over individuals. Is that right?
0: Right. And one of the unintended consequences of all his fighting, all 18 years of fighting, is that he actually dismantled slavery in societies that were uh, slaving societies plantation societies with the slaves. And the end result of all this fighting was that the slaves were manumitted, slaves were set free through their participation in armies. And that is one of the greatest achievements of his years of fighting, more more so than uh, setting these societies free from Spain. Um, Yet he fought for freedom without actually realizing that His fighting on the ground was setting many, many people free. So he kept on pursuing this abstraction to the very end and trying to figure this abstraction out in constitutions after constitutions uh, without realizing that he had already accomplished what he set out to do.
1: (laughs) That's a very interesting character. Thank you, Jorge.
0: You're welcome. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to have us talk about on an upcoming episode of 15 Minute History, go to our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-minute history, that's one five-minute history, and click on the Contact Us link in the right sidebar. The opinions and views expressed in today's episode are not representative of the University of Texas at Austin or any of its constituent bodies and are solely those of the people who spoke them.